Hello and welcome to Energy Futures, a podcast where with our guests, we explore different perspectives on the future of energy. Today, we're with David Morgan, the CEO and co-founder of Iron Matrix, an Australia-based clean energy structures company looking to change the way we all think about creating energy wealth. David, thank you so much for joining me today for Energy Futures. I thought we'd just get started with a little bit on your background. So can you tell me a little bit about your background in the energy world and what led you there in the first place? Yeah, sure. So I guess I came out of university with a degree in commerce and engineering. I really didn't actually know what I was uh, getting myself into. It was an industry that looked like they were solving big problems. The company I actually started working for had offshore platforms and I did my summer vacation holiday work with them and actually got the opportunity to get in a helicopter and fly offshore to one of these platforms. And I was just completely amazed at how it is that someone had justified putting this massive steel structure in the middle of the ocean. And yeah, basically, I wanted to know more. I think it was somewhat naivety to start with, uh, but it was an industry that was doing big things. What I didn't realize at the time is just how important energy is to almost anything and everything uh, that we do. I would uh, learn that later on in my career. But yeah, that's basically how I started. It's amazing. I love that it's all around solving big problems. Mm. So on that, what do you think the future of energy looks like? Um, gosh, so that's a yeah, that's a that's a not even a million dollar question. That's a trillion dollar question, right? So <laughs> one thing that I think we know for sure is that we'll be using a lot more energy than we have in the past. If you look at the trends of any energy consumption and it's not just since the industrial revolution but even before that we've always been on an exponential increase in the amount of energy that we've consumed and relative to you know even our grandparents today the average person on this planet uses an awful lot more energy and so we can be confident that we will continue to look for places to access more energy the question is you know where is that energy going to come from what's the source of that energy that's the bit that no one really knows in advance it all seems obvious in hindsight obviously for the last century we've derived the vast majority of our energy from fossil fuels but yeah things are changing you sure are and you know i think you're onto something when you talk about how you know it's it's where it's going to come from, how it's going to come together, and that there are a lot of different ways that people are looking at it. Yep. If you were to look around at all the different things that are that are being attempted and piloted in different parts of the world and all the debates that are happening, what do you think people agree on when they are looking at the future of energy? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure <laughs> there is any one thing that people agree on. Um uh, and as you point out, there's an there's an awful lot of debate, even amongst the alternative energy people. There's massive debates, you know, with regards to the efficacy and future potential of things like green hydrogen. I think fundamentally, it doesn't matter who you talk to, everyone knows that they've got a pinch point around energy. So maybe that's the one thing uh, that we can all agree on. So the fact that 
energy costs us something and it's generally a significant proportion of our, you know, our, our utility bills. So we're either paying gas or electricity or filling up our car with gasoline at the pumps. You know, these are the things that everyone agrees they, they probably feel like they spend too much money on. But really, what's really interesting is actually the cost of energy today is dramatically cheaper uh, than it was 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. I think in common probably is that people agree that it, it costs too much. We always want to get access to cheaper energy, but exactly where it's going to come from, gosh, I think those debates those debates might not ever end. Uh, I think only in hindsight do you really resolve those things. That's for sure. So speaking of all of those debates and the, you know, the different perspectives that they come from, what do you think people overlook in conversations about, about where the future of energy is going? Or do you think there's something that people don't understand when they're having those conversations? Yeah, look, I think there's a there's a lot of high level information and a lot of people get excited about headlines regarding new battery technologies and, and efficiencies of different energy production. We tend to talk about energy in the context of economics. So a lot of people say that, you know, this will be cheaper or this will be faster. Ultimately, energy and its efficacy and the, the types of the places that we actually end up sourcing our energy from, that's actually dictated by physics, not by economics. And that's something that I think a lot of people probably miss or don't fully appreciate. Our economy and the way we trade, you know, money is actually just a technology at the end of the day, a technology that we use to trade the things we value. But fundamentally, all the things we value with money actually take energy to create. And so you want to actually understand exactly how and where uh, energy is created and, and not only where it's created, but where it's lost as well, because we often refer to energy wealth. And what you want to do is access the most amount of energy you can and spend the very least in the process of doing that. And again, that comes down to kind of engineering and physics. The economics and the commercial side of that is then actually manifest when you can produce more energy uh, than an alternative source. And ultimately, our resources then our attention go to those places where we create the greatest energy wealth. And that's something I think a lot of people tend to miss, or they focus on just one part of the equation. So is it just storage or generation or distribution, when in fact, energy wealth, you have to consider energy across the entire supply chain, not just where you're getting it from, but how you're getting it to people, how you're making it available and how it's actually being used at the end of the day. I love that concept of energy wealth. It's such a unique way of, of taking a different lens to the whole energy equation. Tell us a little bit more about how that plays into what you're working on now. Yes, it was actually something that took a long time to articulate, to, regardless of the fact that it kind of sounds simple right now and really only by virtue of my career in the industry I realized that access to energy was kind of fundamental to our prosperity but I couldn't really articulate exactly how or why and thinking about it long and hard for many many years uh, it was actually in the analogy to financial wealth that actually then allowed me to draw the analogy to energy. And 
the energy wealth is just kind of like financial wealth. You want to earn as much as possible while spending as very little as possible. But yeah, interestingly, when when we actually realised that that was the fundamental goal almost, or at least you you look back at the trends and our energy consumption has always come from sources that create the greatest energy wealth. What it meant is that we could use this inference, if it was true, to actually predict what the future might hold. And what we were seeing in the oil and gas industry is that things were just getting more and more challenged. So even though the industry is still producing enormous amounts of energy, like petajoule quantities of energy, what's also being required is there's a massive energy investment in order to access that those petajoules. So at the end of the day, the amount of energy left over, the things that we actually then use to create you know, goods and services is, is actually becoming more and more challenged or becoming more and more expensive. And the really interesting thing, and this was, gosh, even back in 2012, 13, we were looking at things like solar panels and batteries. And even though those were orders of magnitude uh, more challenged than fossil fuels at that time. It was the trend that made them really interesting. So fossil fuels are on a scarcity curve. So the more we produce, the harder and harder it is to produce the next barrel or, or kilogram of coal. Whereas things like solar and batteries are on a technology curve. The more you produce, the actual the economies of scale improve and the easier and cheaper they get. And so it seems somewhat inevitable to us that there would be a crossover between those two, that solar and batteries would get cheaper and easier, so would create more energy wealth, and fossil fuels would get harder and more expensive and would be creating less energy wealth. And it was really that insight that inspired us in 2015 to leave the oil and gas industry and actually pursue a business that was ultimately trying to seek more energy wealth and doing so through the application of solar. Amazing. Yep. What, are we, what did we hear all the time? The era of easy oil is over. Yeah, I think that's the case, right? I mean, there's no easy reserves back. They're all deeper, further offshore, more compartmentalised. There's CO2 and, and sulphur in these uh, reservoirs or the heavy oil, these things just aren't getting any easier. So yeah, I think the, the era of cheap, low-cost oil in particular is definitely over. Yeah. And then when we think about that, you know, it's it's also not helping with the the need to change to a lower carbon future either. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, that that is the challenge of our time, right? One of the things that fossil fuels benefits from greatly is the, is the tragedy of the commons. So for a century now, we've been discharging carbon into the atmosphere as a function of using those hydrocarbon fuels. And now what we're seeing is that we're paying the price. I, I say to people that the the ultimate carbon tax is actually to force people not to emit that carbon into the atmosphere. And that's really, really hard. More importantly, it's expensive because it actually takes a lot of energy to capture the carbon and actually deal with it in a way that it doesn't end up in the atmosphere. And that's, uh, I refer to that as the ultimate carbon tax. If you force people to sequester uh, carbon, then that would actually render fossil fuels uh, uncompetitive immediately because you would have to spend so much more energy in order to achieve that outcome. When you think of the scale that would be required for that, it's it's mind-boggling. It is almost impossible to get your head around. You see 
a number of carbon capture and sequestration projects that claim you know five to ten thousand tons even a, even a million tons over a number of years that is such a small drop in the ocean of how much carbon is actually emitted into the environment each and every year it's a mammoth task to be able to actually get that to zero and negative aspirations yeah i think are, are, are beyond us and mainly because we don't have access to enough energy to actually sequester that much carbon. It's kind of crazy to think about, you know, it takes energy to make energy, it takes energy mm -hmm. to sequester carbon, and then it takes yep. energy to fuel modern life. So Absolutely. Yeah, if you look at everything through, and this is what we tend to do, if you look at everything through the lens of energy, mm -hmm. you see where all of those challenges are. Ultimately, it manifests itself in, in dollars and economics, but we will continue to struggle in this transition because there's, there's also really no silver bullet. There's uh, this low-cost energy the world has become very accustomed to, and as much as we'd like to reduce the amount of CO2, the question is who's going to pay the energy price in order to achieve that lower carbon future? That's a, that's a really difficult question to answer. So on that question, and you think about the pantheon of all the different things that could, should, or need to be done... From your perspective, what do you think needs to happen first to solve the energy equation for the future? <laughs> yeah, look, if I if I had the answer to that, um, <laughs> giving you really uh, softballs. Yeah, no, it, it would It is a trillion dollar industry going forward. If you could if you could successfully displace hydrocarbons and create more energy wealth in the process of doing so, and do so in a low carbon way, that is literally a multi trillion dollar opportunity. Now, the downside is that that's extremely difficult to do. And as I mentioned earlier, the laws of physics actually dictate where we get the greatest energy wealth from. And uh, the laws of physics within those are the laws of thermodynamics. And not once in the history of our civilization, in fact, the history of the universe, has anyone defied the laws of thermodynamics. There is no such thing as a free lunch when it comes to energy. We always pay the piper. There's no such thing as free energy. And so any source of energy generation that's going to challenge fossil fuels is going to be very, very difficult, bearing in mind that the, the world took hundreds of millions of years to actually generate the amount of fossil fuels that we've basically produced and used in the last hundred and so to find an energy source that can displace that and do so in a way that's low carbon is, is really challenging. Now, having said that, if you look again from a physics perspective at what the technology looks like, my bet is that it will be a combination of solar and batteries that end up creating the greatest energy wealth. Those are the two things that I think still have the potential for us to use less energy in the production of them. And then ultimately, if we can access a large amount of the sun's um, energy going forward and we can actually store it and make it available to people, that's probably our best bet. But it will be marginal in terms of the energy wealth it creates in the short term. It'll be marginal in terms of the economics. But going forward, it will get better, whereas fossil fuels are only going to get more challenged 
And if we impose a carbon tax or force sequestration, they're only going to get more and more challenged. So yeah, that's where I think the, the greatest potential is in the technologies of things like uh, solar and batteries. So speaking of that, tell me a little bit about what you're doing with Iron Matrix, because you've yeah, got so, so much I'm, potential with the solar yeah. structures and creating almost like individual energy independence. Yeah, that's uh, that's basically it in a nutshell. So Iron Matrix is a modular steel construction technology that allows anyone to clad a structure in standard commercial solar panels. The, the goal was to create more energy wealth, and we wanted to do that by displacing traditional building materials with off-the-shelf mass-produced commercial standard solar panels. And Iron Matrix is the steel technology that allows people to do that. So the, and the goal was to make sure that we would produce that steel structure as uh, cheaply as possible and more, as efficiently as possible. So we designed it to be fully manufactured by robots and hand-assembled uh, flat packs for transport and you can assemble it without cranes, trucks or any scaffolding and you can do so in any location which is is ideal for think application like solar and batteries where uh, the greatest value is probably off-grid. So yeah that was the premise upon which uh, Iron Matrix was founded and we spent the last few years or gosh four or five years now developing that technology and demonstrating its applicability and also fundamentally the business case so you know how much does it actually cost to be able to put a structure together and clad it in standard solar panels. That's really what Iron Matrix is all about. It's amazing, amazing what you guys are doing. <laughs> Thank you. I was so pleased to be able to have the chance to actually see some Iron Matrix structures in the wild. <laughs> Fantastic. So much yeah, potential. Indeed. So cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. So I guess I'm going to throw in one more question before the last question. But, mm -hmm. you know, if, as you think about not just energy wealth, but how energy has been an integral part of diplomacy over the last 50 years or more. Yep. How do you think that an energy transition will affect how people think about energy diplomacy? And I you know I think that could go anywhere from will countries want to consider solar panel production as national security interest? Yeah. And what do you what do you think changes? Yeah, look, I think that is an excellent question. I mean, a lot of the geopolitical issues that you've seen in the world for the last hundred years have fundamentally centred around access to energy. And we see the same thing now, access to uh, lower cost hydrocarbon reserves is something that rests at the foundation of a lot of geopolitical issues in the world right now. And uh, yeah, as you point out, the really interesting thing about solar and batteries is that anyone who's got access to the sun potentially has a source of energy wealth where they don't rely on reserves that are, are generally tied to certain places in the world. And yeah, ultimately anyone can actually produce these things. So yeah, the, the question is, how will that change the world? I'd, I'd like to think that it will democratise access to energy in a, in a far greater way than it has been. It's a lot harder, I think, to control the means of production when it comes to things like solar and batteries, but it's very true to say, as you point out, there's really only one country that actually produces enough silicon and the, and the solar panels for the world right now. The vast majority of solar panels actually come out of China. And yeah, the, it's an excellent question. Should a 
country actually consider access to solar and the means to produce it as a, a means for energy national security? I don't know. I think a lot of a, a lot of the answers to that will actually come out in the next five or 10 years. We'll kind of see how that evolves. I, I wish I knew the answer to that, but it'll be super interesting to watch. It will very much depend on how trade relationships evolve with the countries that actually produce the assets and technology that allow other countries to become less dependent on uh, fossil fuels. Watch this space. It'll be fascinating. It will be. It'll be absolutely. It'll be the story of this decade for sure. So I guess to, to bring us home, you've started as an engineer. You've worked looking at both the actual engineering aspects of energy projects, the financial side of energy projects, the project planning aspects. Now you've moved into entirely different forms of energy. You've really looked at this equation from a lot of different angles And over the course of your career, what's been the biggest change you've seen to the energy landscape? Gosh, yeah, look, I think it's probably been what we've seen in the last few years. I mean, when I started my career, and this was 20 years ago, liquefied natural gas was the the thing that was being done. That was the newest technology. That was access to large hydrocarbon reserves and then putting it into a form that allowed it to be transported and sold to distant locations. Uh, That was where the source of greatest energy wealth was coming from in the early 2000s. But it was kind of speculative, even like in 2010, that things like solar and batteries could ever really genuinely compete with things like fossil fuels. The the micro cents per joule of energy that comes out of uh, LNG or the cost to produce gas for LNG is ridiculously small. So for solar and batteries to compete with that, it almost seemed impossible. In fact, I would have said it would have been impossible back in 2010, but it was the inexorable reduction in solar panel prices that got me interested originally in the potential that, hang on a second, maybe this could actually challenge the dominance of fossil fuels. And in 2015, we decided, well, yeah, not only could it, but let's see if we can be a part of that transition. So yeah, that's probably the the biggest change that I've seen. And, And it's only been in the last 12 or 18 months that I think it's now become almost common knowledge, like yeah, the investors and economic pundits are now looking at things like solar and batteries and saying, not only is this a technology that helps us produce energy for less carbon, but it's actually going to be fundamentally cheaper. It's going to create more energy wealth. And then ultimately, financially, it's going to be the thing to actually get behind. And we're really only seeing that sentiment has really only just swung within the investment community and the the wider population really in the last couple of years, I feel. Amazing to think about how, because, you know, in the grand scheme of things, 10 years isn't that long, certainly not in the energy space. And it's It's gone from, oh, it couldn't possibly to maybe it could. And it, in fact, it is. Yes, indeed. Wow. So energy wealth, the ability to both meet the world's need for energy and do it in a low and no carbon way. Mm -hmm. Who thought things would be changing so quickly? Yeah, I I wouldn't have predicted it, but uh, we're seeing it uh, play out right in front of our eyes uh, right now at this point in history. It's fascinating. It's super interesting. Well, David, thank you so much. Can't wait to see how Iron Matrix continues to to solve these problems and create energy wealth for people all around the world. Excellent. Thanks, Catherine. Thanks for the opportunity. 
You made it. Thanks for listening to the first official episode of Energy Futures. Join us next week as we'll continue the conversation with Rishi Jain, Managing Director of Cross River Infrastructure Partners, and explore the energy equation through the lens of the capital flow for future energy projects.